Chapter Six of Our Western Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. Our Western Birds by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. The Western Robin. Always the robin is the robin, for you know the bird by its red breast, unless it happens to be very young, when the breast is speckled. The robin is a little wanderer, but no tramp. He works for his living wherever he goes, and so does his whole family. They come south in large flocks in winter time, going back into the mountains to the north of us when spring comes, to nest and raise their young. The nest of the robin is the same on whichever side of the Rockies you may find it, in the crotch of a tree made of sticks and mud, lined with hairs, and the eggs are ever the same little greenish-blue gems. They may be four, or they may be five. Just as our first rains of winter are dripping from the tree boughs, there comes a familiar cry from somebody. The robins have come! The robins have come! And we run to see. There they are in the pepper trees. Our pepper trees seem to ripen their clusters of red berries on purpose for the robins and the wax wings, and these little birds never leave us until they have stripped the boughs. They swallow the fruit whole and throw up the bare hard seeds after the sweet pulp has digested. You can hear the patter of the seeds on the roof and sidewalk. Our little friend from San Diego writes that the robins and wax wings put pepper seeds in the water trough. He says, the birds must bring them a good ways, as there are no pepper trees near the troughs. If he watches this winter, he will notice that just before the robins come to drink, they are in the pepper trees, and of course when they drink, they spit out the seeds as they have no use for them. One would think that they might stop long enough to eat their meals properly, and yet reject the kernels in the first place. But if you try tasting the pepper berries for yourselves, you will see that the meat is on the outside of the shell instead of being within the shell, like a nut. And the sweet meat sticks to the proper seed, so the bird must swallow to soak it off. There's always a good reason for what birds are doing, if one can only get at it. Everywhere the robin goes, he carries his cheerful song with him, and you may sometimes imagine a flock are holding a low conversation with each other. Their red breasts and black heads make our lawns very beautiful, of a January morning, before the angleworms have gone back into the ground. Up all night, out to get a breath of air, these earthworms have left little roadways all over the top of the ground, especially if it happened to rain in the night. Angleworms are like water birds. They like a little of the water, but too much of it would drown them. Robins seem to know all about this, so they too are out bright and early to look over the situation. Always, in any country, the robin and the angleworm are bosom friends. We do not know another bird on such intimate terms with the bare, smooth angleworms. The mockers will not touch them. Robins are supposed to listen to the worms when they are about their business below the lawn, and the poor little fellows are snapped up before they see daylight, if indeed they do see anything. However, an earthworm has some privileges the robin has not, be his breast ever so red. If a robin snatches at a worm, and the worm resists, and who would not, the robin and the worm part company somewhere. Usually it is in the middle of the worm. Robin swallows his share, and the worm's own share of himself disappears 
deep in the ground, out of sight and hearing. By and by his wounds heal, and he is a good fat worm again, as long as any other worm, and as good eating. Should Robin lose both pieces of a worm that is bitten in two, there will be two worms in due time, able to come out on a wet night and look around. Should the two meet, they will not recognize each other as having been just one worm some time back. Robin will eat them both in good time, if they don't watch out. But Robin has his turn at bad luck. Chipmunk, who loves fresh eggs for breakfast better than he loves anything else in the world, keeps an eye on a pair of robins at nesting time. He sees them getting mud and sticks and laughs in his sleeve. He knows what they are getting mud and sticks for, and he knows just when the eggs are all laid. Some bright morning when robins' backs are turned, the eggs will disappear. This little red rascal with a striped back loves young robins almost as well as fresh eggs, and in his walks about the woods he listens. Chipmunks get very hungry, almost as hungry as a boy when school is out, and who can blame him for eating the first thing he comes across? But Chipmunk takes not all the robins, any more than robin takes all the angleworms and grasshoppers and garden fruits. Enough young robins are left in the nest for another year, and late in the fall and winter the old robins and the old chipmunks may be seen talking over their troubles while they sun themselves on a forest log. We place food all about our grounds for the robins. They like bread and butter and cake and pie. Water sweetened with molasses is their delight, when once they have found it out. Birds are like other sensible people. They do not jump at conclusions. If you put out a dish of food for them which they have never seen before, they pass it by with a glance, or sample it with great care. They want to be quite sure it is good eating, and the birds watch one another at table. If a robin sees a sparrow or a mocker eating a new sort of food, it takes right hold itself, as if it had been used to such a dish all its life. It seems as though the same robins come back to our garden table each winter, for they go straight to the place where they ate their last breakfast, as if they remembered. Farmers think they remember, too, and they accuse the robins of stealing things. They do not stop to think that every young robin is fed its own weight in insects every day it lives, and most of these insects are enemies of the farmer's crops. End of chapter 6